vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs who are often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to our next interview. I'm excited about our guest today because not only are we going to be talking about activism, but we're also going to be talking about taking action. We're going to be talking about really this opportunity for many of us to not only get some education. I'm excited about hearing a little bit about the graduate program. Okay, I'm maybe doing a little bit of spoiler here um, because I've been doing some research on our guest and I'm really inspired by the idea that what many of us want to do as other entrepreneurs, as vegans, or even as individuals who want to change the world, many of us need the tools in our kind of toolkit to actually drive change. So I'm excited about our guest today because Zoe has created the Institute for Humane Education. This is really a tool for many of us out there that are looking to not only see opportunity for humanitarian efforts, but also identify solutions, identify ways that we can change the world. So I'm hoping in our today's discussion, not only can we learn a little bit more about our guests, but inspire some of you out there that are looking for ways to do things differently, looking for ways to get educated, to expand your toolkit and become stronger and maybe more effective activists in your local community. So before I go any deeper into all the things I'm excited about, I want to take a few minutes and just welcome Zoe for joining us today and also give um, Zoe a few minutes to maybe give us a little bit of background. But first, let me just say welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here. So as we get started, as we introduce people to Zoe Weil and really your background, what you've done and what brought you to the point of being a founder for the Institute for Humane in Education, can you give people a little bit of background? Like what was your inspiration? Maybe a little bit of your initial training and maybe even some of the things that inspired you. And then we'll spend some time maybe later in the interview and we'll start to dig into the great work that you're doing now. Sure. Thank you. So like many people who learn about the plight of animals, I wanted to do something. And this was when I was in my early 20s that I read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation, and I found out about factory farming and I was just sick at heart. And I didn't know what I could do as an individual. And I ended up offering some week-long summer courses in a program for middle school students that was offered at the University of Pennsylvania. This was a long time ago. This was in 1987. And one of the courses that I offered was on animal issues. And so I taught, it was, you know, Monday through Friday, all day, and I taught these these kids about what was happening to animals. 
And I watched as they changed literally overnight. A few of them became vegetarians right away. One of them actually learned about product testing in the middle of the week where everything from oven cleaner to personal care products and shampoo, everybody who's listening probably knows this, dripped into the eyes of conscious rabbits, force-fed to them in quantities that kill, smeared on their braided skin. He went home that night and he made his own homemade leaflets. This was 1987. He hand wrote his leaflet, did not have a computer. Love it. I love it. And he came back the next day and he wanted to hand them out, but not to his fellow classmates who'd all learned about this. He had become an activist overnight. So while the rest of us were having lunch, he was standing out on a Philadelphia street corner handing out his homemade leaflets. So a couple of the kids in that class went on to start a Philadelphia area-wide student group. One went won awards for his work. And I realized, well, I'm going to fast forward. I hadn't seen him in a couple decades. I was giving a talk in New York at where he worked for the mayor, and I invited him to come. I introduced him to some people who I was with. And I said, this is David. He was in the first humane education course I ever taught. And before I could even finish my sentence, he interjected, that course changed my life. Well, it didn't just change his life. It changed my life because that is when I realized that I had found a profoundly important way to create positive change through education and specifically through humane education. And when I was trying to figure out what could I do, you know, the things that were sort of available to do as an activist, or at least that I heard about were leafleting or tabling or writing letters to your elected officials and to the, you know, owners or or CEOs of companies. And I did those things. But I realized, like, if that was the only way for me to make change, I wasn't going to last very long because They didn't, you know, everybody has to find the place where what they do really works for them. And for some people, tabling and protesting and leafleting really works, but it didn't for me. I I don't like confrontations with people. I don't like protesting. I much prefer bridge building. And I realized that's what humane education was. Yes. And so I ended up starting a humane education program in the Philadelphia area, reaching about 10,000 kids a year. And just watching these kids just change overnight or over, uh, you know, a very short period of time and start school clubs and do this amazing work. And that's when I realized this needed to be not just something that a few of us do going into schools and doing one-off presentations or assembly programs. This needs to be embedded in education. And so in 1996, I co-founded the Institute for Humane Education for a couple of reasons, but one of them was to really embed humane education into all education. And so to both reach activists who wanted to be humane educators and do this kind of work, and also reach schools and teachers who went into teaching because they care about the future and they want to build a more just and sustainable and humane future and to bring humane education to them so they could embed it and integrate it deeply into the curriculum. I love that. And I'm curious, when you were making this change, especially when you're giving us the dates, you know, a lot of us, you know, think about the change that's happening today, you know, that's happening in the last couple of years. But it's amazing what you were able to do when maybe veganism wasn't at the tip of people's tongues, you know, 
the conversations that we're having now, you know, are very different kind of maybe conversations that you might have been having when you initially were starting your institute. Were you surprised or were there any responses that you received from teachers, from institutions that maybe inspired you more than you would have expected, especially since, you know, some of these topics were not front page news necessarily, or even things that were taken up by a lot of the world organizations that we see now starting to listen. Yeah, it's so funny you should ask that, Stephanie, because, you know, back then when I would, I mean, I've been vegan now since 1991, so a really long time and vegetarian before that. Um, But Back then, you know, if you said you were vegan, people thought you were saying you were from the planet Vega, right? You know, it's just not what it is today. And I love that this is called Vegan Mainstream, by the way, because in a way, that's exactly what we are trying to do with bringing these issues into schools is to make them mainstream. So when I started, you know, these were controversial topics and you're coming into as a guest speaker or maybe to do a debate with somebody. And now we can talk about these issues. And we created the first graduate programs, which are offered online through an affiliation with Antioch University, which is a leader in progressive education. We created the first graduate programs in humane education, linking animal rights, social justice, environmental protection, and so that people who care about these issues and want to teach about them, whether they are activists or they are educators, already classroom teachers, they can find a place where everything that they care about comes together. And I would say that, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but in a way, what we offer the vegan community is a pathway for integrating all of the issues of social justice, environmentalism with their, their passion for veganism and animal rights. And what we're offering the education community is the opportunity to bring these important ethical issues into their classroom in ways that don't have to be polarized, that don't have to be controversial, but can actually be oriented toward how do we solve these underlying problems that we face in the world? And that gets into our goal of educating people to be solutionaries. That is people who can address unjust and unsustainable and inhumane systems and devise and implement solutions that are good for everybody, meaning all people, animals, and the environment. And that approach means that all of this that you're talking about can be mainstream because it doesn't have to be a conflict with people. It doesn't have to be side taking. It doesn't have to be a debate. It's, huh, animals are suffering. The health of our planet is at stake. Our own health is at at stake. How can we create better systems that are good for everyone? Absolutely. And before I respond to that, I just wanted to say hello to Dr. Harper that stopped by, um, just wanted to make a comment where um, Dr. Harper said, love stories like these, how compassionate teachers make a huge difference in teaching children possibilities and doing things differently from the norm. Also, she just wanted to give you a quick shout out and said, yep, love what you're doing before social media, you know, that made it easier and all that good stuff. But this work is so important and so impactful because while I was listening to you, one thing that I I think is really important to take away from today's interview is the idea that 
you're creating a space to have discussion around these topics. I think one thing that absolutely I love about, you know, handing out flyers, you know, doing events, um, even sometimes protests, because sometimes we got to wake people up a little bit. But we also need a forum so that people can have discussion. So there can be a little bit back and forth. And it not isn't always an interruptive way of getting the message to someone. You know, someone showing up in a classroom, someone showing up and being prepared to have that discussion, I think sometimes can create a different type of transformation than when we try to catch somebody when they're walking out of a store. So I, I really like not only the work you're doing, but the environment that it creates for deeper thought and also the idea that we're taking this into higher education as well. I just want to make sure our listeners heard that this, there's a graduate program for this. This is really, really key. And not everyone maybe is aware of that because I do think as we expand as vegans, especially for many of us who may have been vegan like three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, sometimes we're looking for that next frontier, that next way to take what we do forward and knowing that there is a true education program there for us, to me, is so, it's just exciting. Um, so I, I just wanted to, to make that, that comment. Thank you so much. And thank you, Breeze. That's lovely that you're here. And I so appreciate your comment and all the work that you do. You know, I, I think that what happens for a lot of people, and we, we offer more than graduate programs. We have loads of free downloadable resources. We have a solutionary guidebook. We have all sorts of resources that anybody who's thinking, I want to do some humane education. I might not be ready for a grad program, but I want to do this. Yeah. Come to our website, humaneeducation.org. You will find loads of materials that can help you get started. And, and we have shorter online courses as well. So for those people who do wind up applying to our grad program, so many of them come from the animal rights movement and they're so excited. They feel like they've come home, not only because there's a graduate program that recognizes these things that they're passionate about, but it also connects to all of these other issues that they care about. A lot of activists don't want to be asked to choose between... Yes only focusing on animal rights or only focusing on social justice or only focusing on the environment. And they find in humane education, a home that welcomes everything they care about and interconnects all of these issues. So I feel like that's one thing that we offer the animal movement is this place to come home if you care about all issues of justice and compassion and sustainability. Absolutely. I think that idea that we don't have to create silos for the things that we care about that because in life we are, you know, multidimensional, even as individuals that, you know, our actions and our activity and our behaviors should, in a sense, echo that as well. So I'm so, so glad you said that. We did have someone to drop by for a question. I'm going to read it and you can take a look at it as well. Um, we had a question that came in, well, first started with a comment, so interesting conversation and timely degree. My question would be how education policy planners cascading their tripolar stakes in academia. Do you want more clarity on that or do you want... Okay, I was wondering about that when I read it. I was like, oh, maybe it's a little bit more clarity. So maybe while um, you can drop in a little bit more clarity for us um, in that comment, we'll, we'll address your question. But maybe we'll, I'll just do a little bit of a, a guess on where I think this person is going. Is that do you, when we think about there's education and then there's policy change, 
You know, there's how do we actually drive some of those changes in our community? How do we change? Because some of the ways and the reason the world is the way it is, is not just from individual behavior. It's that institution that keeps it going. So do you have some thoughts around not only how do we make not only just policy change around education at, at large, but also policy changes that we could be making and how the work that you do can help people, you know, make change, whether it's their local government, whether it's even at the federal level and so forth, that may be a, a great place for us to start. Yeah, fantastic. So we believe that the education system is the root system underlying all other societal systems. So our economic system, our political system, our agriculture system, our energy system, all those other systems, the education system under underlies them because that's where we are learning about mm. the systems that we are going to create or perpetuate or hopefully in many ways transform. So what that means is that when we have addressed the education system and not just the classroom education system, but education as a whole, education happens everywhere. It's happening right now in this conversation. Anyone who's listening is participating in, in learning, which is education. So there are many, many venues for education. And ultimately, if we bring humane education in this goal of being solutionaries, that means that the people who are experiencing humane education, they are learning to address and transform systems as solutionaries, because that's what solutionaries do. They identify what's unsustainable, unjust, and inhumane, and they come up with ideas to transform it, and then they implement it. So the recipients of humane education could go on to want to change the political system or the food system or the economic system and the energy system, all these different systems. And what they will learn in the process is this kind of systems thinking along with critical thinking and strategic thinking and creative thinking, which is come together to form solutionary thinking. So in essence, anybody who's listening to this, who cares about animal rights, who cares about creating a future where there is more good and less harm, what we call the MOGO principle, doing the most good and least harm. If you care about that, then, then we have devised a process for you, a solutionary process. And again, you can go to our website, you can download the guidebook, How to Be a Solutionary, which is the one that we wrote for students and activists. And you can go through the process addressing what you care about using this thinking process and coming up with solutions. And it's a it's a collaborative experience. It, it also means reaching out to stakeholders and stakeholders may be the people who are also benefiting from the way things are that need to change. Because if we if we don't engage those stakeholders, if we don't understand what's important to them, then it's harder to create change. But if we understand what's important to them, we may have less resistance. We may even be able to get them to collaborate with us in order to create a better, more just, more humane system. Yeah. And I think that builds on what you mentioned before about building bridges, that often we if we can find those bridges, often, you know, either issues that people weren't sure on or maybe had gray areas on, or they thought, you know, I have to focus here because I can make the biggest impact. And they don't realize that they can make a broader impact and cover other issues 
by building those bridges, we can get into those discussions. We can get people to put their guards down at times and maybe even take on um, bigger issues. So just got that clarification from, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm going to say Derage. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think the comment was around kind of making that connection between you know, humans, animals, and environmental aspects. I think at times we often think that we can't manage all of those. It feels like too much. And maybe some of that is because there's just so much also going on in the world. And many of us are also pulled in multiple directions, but it's so refreshing to hear the great work that you're doing and how you're helping people bring that work together. Yes. And, and that triad. So now I know what you mean by tripolar, that, that triad of people, animals, and the environment. That is the underlying principle for becoming a solutionary is how can you devise solutions that do the most good and the least harm for all people, for animals, and for the environment? And when you, when you come with that triad, most people are not resistant. You know, most people don't say, well, well, I don't want to think about animals. You know, people, sure, environment, yeah, maybe, but I'm not going to think about animals. Nobody ever says that. When you come in, but if you come in with only animals in mind and you make it sound as if the only important thing to discuss is the impact on animals, there is a lot of resistance. And then, then we become marginalized from the bigger conversation that people are having and we're not mainstream anymore. But as soon as you bring these three together and you say, all of us are worthy of ethical consideration, suddenly you don't have resistance. And that's how these issues are then mainstream in schools. And we are seeing this happen. So there's uh, uh, San Mateo County, California, which is the county between San Francisco and Palo Alto. They have embraced our solutionary approach as the philosophy and framework for the entire county, serving 113,000 students in 23 school districts. And they are bringing this concept of people, animals, and the environment, and they are training educators to bring and develop solutionary units for their classrooms. And one teacher, he was doing a food unit and the students were so interested, but they felt it was too broad and they really wanted to just focus on meat. And of course, meat brings together people, animals and the environment. And there's a whole unit being taught in a high school in San Mateo County on meat because of a teacher learning about the solutionary approach and and bringing it into his classroom. Wow. That's, I think that's really helpful for a lot of us because when you read the news or you look at the headlines these days, sometimes it can feel a little discouraging. Sometimes you can think of like all the work that's still left to be done that, you know what I mean? We, we hyper-focus on that and, you know, hearing the work that you're doing, the impact you're doing, hearing a school district really embrace it. And even the example of a teacher who's brought it, you know, brought something specific into his classroom is really inspirational and also reminds us that we're, we're making progress, that change is happening. Um, yes, it may be in some of these pockets and we want it to be mainstream, but we have to definitely start somewhere. And I think that that's key. We did have a question that popped up. Reese said that um, she's going to be dropping off. So thanks so much for, for joining us. It was really great to see you. And Todd had a kind of comment slash 
question um, that came up and said, any advice for someone that started their PhD with one goal and is leaving with another? I'm interested in community education. Humane education fits nicely with participatory and incorporating belonging, dignity, and justice into DEI initiatives. The interconnectedness is something that I want to teach. So do you have any recommendations on how Todd can maybe take what is done and taking that kind of forward and how to bring these these pieces together that we're all so passionate about? Um, well, Todd, I would love to talk to you further. Feel free to reach out to me at zoe at humaneeducation.org because I'm not sure how to specifically address your question. But if you're still in this PhD program and they allow you to take other courses or work with other institutions, maybe our programs with Antioch could be a, a fit. I mean, maybe there's a, a place for us to uh, work together. Oh, perfect. That's a great idea. I didn't even think about that. So Todd, definitely let us know. I know you're still here in the conversation. So definitely. And also, I really encourage everyone who's listening today to reach out to Zoe because I think sometimes, you know, when we think about what to do next, sometimes when we think about, you know, our paths that we've been on, we know we want to do something bigger and greater or different, but sometimes we don't know how to conceptualize it. You know, sometimes we don't know what it means because we haven't lived it yet. So I think that was a great segue into getting people to connect with you, to also connect with your programs, because some of those programs may help some of us get a little bit more visual around what our future could look like and how we can take action. So let's just make sure that everyone knows how to get in touch with you. Let's go through the website again, even though I know we have the link in the description. Let's give everyone the website, social media, and what's the best place if they need it or wanted to get started, where should they go on your website to get started? So our website is very easy to remember. It's just humaneeducation.org. And if somebody was interested in our grab programs, right on the menu, you'll see grab programs. We have three entry points. So we have a, a summer, a fall, and then a spring entry point. And so application deadline for the summer is April 15th. You'll find all the information you want. And again, you can always email me at zoe, Z-O-E, at humaneeducation.org. And we also have loads of other opportunities. So you'll find the resources. If you're an educator, you'll find the resources under become a solutionary if you want to be a solutionary and figure out a different way. If you want to become a humane educator because you're just so inspired and you're thinking, I have been looking for a different way to create change than what I've been doing and I want to be a humane educator, you found the right place. And the other thing that we have upcoming that I'm really excited about is that we are partnering with Uprooting Inequity and we're offering a three webinar series on structural racism starting on March 31st, next Thursday, with Io Magwood, who is amazing, brilliant thinker. And uh, so I hope that some people will register for that. It's free of charge. Um, we believe that it's really important for people in the animal community and the vegan community to understand how important it is that we address racial injustice and that these issues are connected. And so we're very excited about that. So if anybody wants to register for the three free webinar series, please do. Oh, thank you so much. You could just put the um, link to that in. That would be fantastic. So people will be able to find that through you. Absolutely. I'm going to drop the link in the chat, 
But just so everyone's aware, the link is in the description for this post. So make sure you go there and you can actually check out the event and hopefully even sign up for it. One more question up on the screen. Tracy recorded drop by. Tracy, so great to see you. And I think this is a great even kind of wrap up for our interview because, you know, Tracy said this is an awesome conversation. Zoe, how do you keep the passion alive? How have you evolved over the decades doing this work? And I think this is a great wrap up question because I think for many of us, you know, who have been working and even see this as our like life's work, you know, keeping that motivation going, keeping that um, passion going is really key. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, not only answering Tracy's question, but anything else you want to add or help anyone else out there who's on the same lifelong path or maybe following in your footsteps as well on how they can keep that passion, that connection and that focus on the vision over the over the decades. Thank you, Tracy, for that question. For me, humane education is incredibly heartening work and comprehensive humane education linking all of these issues together has brought the most amazing people into my life. And some of them are our grad students and many of them are the people who I work with. And that keeps me going, working with amazing people who have this vision of a peaceful and sustainable and humane and just world for everybody. Um, I never go to bed feeling like I don't have a community who cares around me. I never feel alone in this. And that's been really important. When you see the light bulb go on in somebody's mind because of what they've learned and they want to change for the better and they want to contribute and they want to be solutionaries, it just, you know, you're making a difference and that keeps you going. And so I'll end with three quotes that keep me going. And it, it's not to say that I don't ever feel despair. I, of course I do. I mean, the issues that we are facing in the world are, are very scary and we are living through extremely challenging times right now, as we all know. But when I have those moments, it doesn't change whether I keep doing the work because the work itself restores me. The work itself gives me hope. And these are the three quotes. So the first is from Joan Baez, the singer-songwriter, who said, action is the antidote to despair. Mm. And the second is from Professor David Orr. He's a professor at Oberlin College. And he said, Hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up. I love that. I love that. It's very visual. <laughs> yes. And then the last one comes from Greta Thunberg, the young climate activist who said, once we start to act, hope is everywhere. And so as long as we are acting in ways that feed us and don't enervate us, and then we can do this work forever and I'll be doing this work until uh, the, either the day I die or till we have a truly just and sustainable and compassionate future. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and sharing not only your story, your vision with our audience. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, and thank you for inspiring not only all of us, but even, you know, inspiring me during this interview. It, it's so wonderful to hear that you know all the work you've been doing over the decades and also the work to come so thank you so much everyone please 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 reach out to zoe Weil. 
Um, make sure you go to the website. Website is Humane Education. And if you have to Google it or you're going to do a search, it's the Institute for Humane Education, because I really think for some of you, this might be your jumping off point for what's next. And for others, it just may be a great way to stay connected with the community, stay connected with people who are there to support you, educate you and help you achieve your goals. So thank you everyone. Whether you watch this live or you watch this as a recording, we so, so, so appreciate you showing up, listening to us and being inspired by these sessions. So until next time, we'll say goodbye. Thank you so much, Zoe, for joining me today. And thank you everyone who's joined us for today's session. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to Pivot our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes. Thank you.